nature is hungry to interact with us. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, what the way I've been describing it recently is like when you're in a, a, a an urban landscape where a lot of the diversity has been diminished, the trees around you, the squirrels there, they see you as part of the forest. Wow. Like you are part of the nature and the the network there. So of course they want to connect with you because connection is how, you know, it, resources are exchanged and how growth happens. And so just to know that there is that hunger on the, the, within the natural world for you, for connecting with you. And, and so you'll be met in that way. Just, you know, if you take one step, it's like the world rushes in to meet you. to the mountain and another fireside friday here at mountain zend in where we meet with guests and share heart to heart the joys and benefits of the natural world for mindfulness and personal transformation naturally i'm brett wilson your host and trail guide here to inspire you to connect with nature for mindfulness and personal growth today and every day I'm so glad you're here. So one of my favorite aphorisms is, affirm truth wherever you find it. It's a philosophy I've more recently come to hold dear and try to live by every day that I'm alive because I'm finding that as I seek truth with a capital T on my own hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell would put it, I'm stretched a little out of my comfort zone. There was a time in my younger days where I felt like I really understood it all and pretty much knew what life in the universe was all about but I began to grow stagnant, dull and unteachable, putting God, the creator, in a box and not allowing for any more wisdom, ways of looking at the world or growth to take place. Everything was black and white, leaving no room for mystery or deeper scientific revelations. I'll be honest, the old self would have been a bit threatened by today's conversation we're about to have, probably because I wasn't secure enough in my own beliefs and relationship with myself or my creator. I no longer feel that way, but trust that as I listen to that still, small voice, I can hear the call of wisdom and courage and love, and hopefully impart it with diligence to those in my sphere of influence as we learn and grow together. Now, I'm really jazzed to be sharing today's guest with you. She is a writer, herbalist, earth intuitive, and the guide behind One Willow Apothecaries, an online hub for learning, healing, and connecting with the living world. Combining science with spirituality, She teaches how connecting with the earth can change everything. In the last decade, she has worked with over 20,000 students and shares that if she has learned anything, it is that we are at a turning point in this world. And empaths and sensitives are here to midwife that change. It's a really fascinating concept and I'm excited to be sharing it with you today. Asia Suler is a kind, wise, and beautiful soul. And I believe you're really going to be blessed by today's conversation with her. So without any further ado, let's welcome Asia Suler to Mountain Zenden. Come on in. Welcome, Asia Suler. So good to have you here at Mountain Zenden. What a pleasure having somebody from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to the Rocky Mountains here. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you here with us today on Mountain Zenden. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. So we'll get right into it. You're a writer, an herbalist, and 
Earth Intuitive and the guide behind One Willow Apothecaries, as well as an author of a book we're going to talk about. Earth Intuitive especially grabs my, my imagination. I would love you to tell us a bit about your background, how you came into doing this work and, and what you do now. Sure. So the my whole entryway really began with herbalism and and really connecting with the natural world. So for me, the way that looked was in my late teens, I developed a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia. And, you know, one of the things I say is that the, the world inside my body was so uncomfortable, it kind of, it, it invited me to come out, to come out mm-hmm. into nature, to start interacting with the natural world. And, you know, at the time I was in college and, you know, I was dealing with this invisible chronic pain condition. And so when I was outside with the trees and the creeks, it was one of the few times where I felt really seen and, and really held and where I felt hope. And, and so that's really where it it all began for me. And, and, you know, I, I ended up healing from that condition through, you know, a variety of different modalities, alternative healing modalities, but I came out of it just completely in love with plants and the natural world. And so I, I decided I just wanted to be with the plants, whatever that meant. And I, you know, I, I went to college outside New York city and then I ended up moving to New York city. And then I got the only job I could find that would bring me close to the plants, which was a a job taking care of people's office plants. So that's what I did. I had a huge duffel bag and a a giant watering can and I (laughs) traversed around Times square and I took care of people's office plants. And, and it was really in the midst of that, that job that I woke up one morning and I thought, I want to go to school for herbalism. And I think I thought I knew what that meant, but I actually really had no idea. But it 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 was the thing that brought me down here to the mountains outside Asheville, the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, to go to the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine. And yeah, that's kind of when my, I guess you could call it my career um, of interacting with the living world and, and helping other people to do so began. And so- wow. I went to school and, and graduated and then I started a private practice and I, I saw people for herbal consults and and support in that way. And then I, I began teaching, but I noticed that the people came to me often with something very physical they wanted to deal with, right? A, a condition yeah. or symptom. And yet the thing that often was what healed them was developing a deep relationship with the natural world and with these medicines it wasn't just about you know taking a for b it was really about opening up a whole new way of living and and interacting with the world around them and so i i started to realize that what people were getting out of these sessions with me was way more of this bridge into this con- intuitive connection with the mm. natural world and and i've always been a very intuitive person and for a long time i kind of I resisted sort of that, that path because I thought it was ungrounded, you know, that, that intuition and, and spirituality was this sort of, um, you know, off planet, ungrounded way of being here. And that was partially, you know, my, my upbringing, I, you know, growing up in in the Northeast, uh, and I, I had a very much a, an internalized belief system that to be spiritual was at odds with being intellectual. Hmm. And so that it was a challenge for me to realize that these two things could go hand in hand and that actually intuition is a direct way of knowing that can be 
um, something that actually grounds you on this planet and connects you to this planet. And so I realized a lot of my intuitive hits that I was getting in, in sessions and, you know, in teaching classes was coming directly from the earth. And so that's when I started calling myself an earth intuitive, because it felt like this, this line of communication was, um, open between me and the earth. And that's really where a lot of this guidance was, was coming in. And so, yeah, as, as the years went on, I, I, I actually stopped seeing clients, but I expanded my teaching practice and I've, you know, now I've taught over 20,000 people around the world, um, through my online courses. And it's been such an amazing journey to see, yeah, just how, how many people out there are really ready to, to reconnect to their own inner knowing through interacting with the natural world around them. And, and then, yeah, you mentioned my book and I, I, I wrote that book really over the course of the past decade of my own journey of coming to realize who I was by interacting with nature. That's beautiful. As an earth intuitive, did you, do you believe that, um, the, condition that people the the sicknesses and the things that need healing in people are a result of our disconnection from nature and from the earth yeah i i would say yes um absolutely you know everything is connected and when when we when that connection's not free flowing blockages happen and you know that's not to say that these sim- these symptoms or these conditions don't have like physical causes because they do. Yeah, but even yeah. for example, you know, feeling disconnected from from nature and you know not having access to you know good foods that come from well nourished soils, you know, all of these things are come into play. But you know, I, I've been through several different iterations in my life of, of chronic pain and then chronic illness with um, Lyme disease. I've actually contracted Lyme disease twice, and uh, I, I found for me that the, the thing that was most healing, like I could do all of the herbal formulas and I did, you know, all the herbal formulas, all the acupuncture, you know, all the things you're supposed to do. I did, you know, rounds of antibiotics, you know, all the things that are sort of on the list. And yet what really healed me was this connection to the, the spirit of the world and to my own spirit. And I think that that is, that's like the, the first thing we've been disconnected from that we need to reconnect to is our own selves. Right. But we Beautiful. are a part of nature. And so, you know, that's what my book mirrors in the earth is about. It's about the fact that we can look into the mirror, um, that is the earth, this benevolent parent mirror, I call it <clears throat> and, and see who we are again and reconnect yeah. to that person. Yeah, those mirrors. Uh, so the way we discovered you, my wife found your book online and then told me about it. And she, we went to your website and so drawn in by the imagery. And the, you talked about the mirrors of the earth. They're beautiful video with um, it's poetic and has beautiful nature scenery. You sitting by a beautiful creek. I wish I knew more adjectives besides beautiful. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. And <laughs> you talked about these bodies of water being mirrors as well. I thought that was pretty Darn cool. And and uh, I recommend people go check that out as well um, with your book in hand, obviously. <laughs> um, you mentioned Lyme disease and, and that is pretty prevalent back East. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's just starting to get down into the mountains where I live, but where I grew up, it's really prevalent. And so the, the two times that I contracted Lyme disease, I was actually traveling up into the Northeast 
So yeah, that's yeah. We had a visit from my dad back in 2014, and he's in good. I mean, he's he's turning 85 this month, and he's still hiking and doing good. You know, good shape, non-smoker, vegetarian, always been athletic and and outdoorsy. Um, but he came and got sick like the day after he had stopped at our house and we didn't know what it was. And we just thought, well, he's, he's maybe he's got altitude sickness. And so we encouraged him to just rest and drink a lot. And before we took him up higher into the mountains, cause we were going to go hiking and he got worse and worse. And so we took him to the clinic or the emergency room. Cause he got so bad and, um, he was feeling awful and they didn't know what it was, but they gave him some antibiotics or something. I don't know. They tested him and said, we're not sure what it is, but here, drink a lot of these and eat this and take care of that. Get some rest. Four, tri- five trips later, I mean, he went five times to the uh, health clinic and the emergency room. Finally, somebody diagnosed it as Lyme disease. And uh, we'd heard awful things about, you know, people not even ever recovering from them, young people. And... um over time, we did consider it a, a miracle. He, over time, uh, we, I got him on a plane. My brother picked him up at the airport. And a couple of weeks later, he was able to get out and mow the lawn again at his house. But that is a serious disease. Had, did you have a real struggle overcoming that? I did. Yeah. The, the first time that I contracted Lyme disease, uh, the, I, I wasn't diagnosed for several months, um, later and kind of the, the longer you go undiagnosed, the harder mm-hmm. it, it is. Cause it gets really entrenched, um, inside all kinds of like nooks and crannies in your body that, uh, you know, normal bacteria can't go like your oh, brain, for example, That's scary. Um, it, it's able to cross the blood brain barrier. Yes. It's a, it's a really interesting, um, creature anyways. But, uh, so, you know, some people go years and, and that's extremely hard. You know, for me, it was, it was several months, but I I was able to get a diagnosis because I had been camping out in the woods, uh, with some friends for several weeks and more than half of us came down with Lyme disease. I started having really strange symptoms and I was like, what is going on? And then I was lucky that, you know, those friends and I were in communication and they told me what was going on with them because, you know, the, the testing isn't always super accurate. Like you had mentioned, like, you know, sort of going in and out too of the doctor's office, that's a lot of people's experience with it. And so, yeah, the, the, the first time I got Lyme disease, you know, I, I ended up, I, I again, did all the things. And after about nine months, I decided to do a thing where every day I, I kind of took as much of my schedule off my schedule as I could. And I, every day I did a meditation journey. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to tune, just tune in directly and see like what needs to be healed on an energetic or emotional level. And after that month, my symptoms went from being like 80% to 20. And I was like, okay, I can, I can live with 20. I can live with 20, you know, in my life. And then, you know, fast forward a year and a half later, I got Lyme disease again. Oh man. Um, a different, different, um, place and different moment, but yeah. And this time I, I was diagnosed pretty quickly because I knew the symptoms, but my health just like plummeted. And mm. even though I went on the antibiotics right away, cause that can be really effective if you've, you know, if you catch, you it, catch it early, it. um, and antibiotics and, and, you know, herbs right away. Um, but I was really spiraling. And so it was a couple months after that, I had a dream where, uh, actually in the dream, I was told very clearly that shamanism will heal you from Lyme disease. And I said, okay, you know, and I had, I had been doing shamanic journeys, what's called shamanic journeys or just journey work for years. And so 
I was like, okay, you know, I can, I can go down this route. I, I wasn't banking on it, but I was like, listen, dreams are powerful. I'm going to see what happens. So I had a friend who was doing training with the, the four wind society at the time. And I told her this, and she was like, why don't we do a session? Why don't we do an extraction? Which is what, you know, what's what it's called in her tradition. And I said, okay, sure. Let's go for it. Why not? And, um, I wasn't expecting much, but after that session, which was very powerful, within a couple of weeks, all the symptoms that I had had from the past two times getting Lyme disease completely evaporated. Amazing. Yeah, it was it was such an incredible experience and such a affirmation for me of something I had I really believed to be true and had had really seen play out with a lot of my clients, but then to have a direct experience of this reality that healing can happen from this connection with the unseen world. And that often that's where the healing needs to come from. And that when we, sometimes by doing all the things, we're re-perpetuating sort of the patterns in our life that need to be healed, especially like overdoing, overworking. And Mm -hmm. I heard someone say once about Lyme disease, and I really resonated with it, that, that Lyme often ends up coming in for people who are kind of already on their path, but it's almost like their spirit's like, I'm ready for you to graduate and take the next level on this path. Wow. Like I'm ready for you. And I've seen that a lot come up for people with Lyme, like that they're, they're often not people who are, you know, just really on a side path and don't know where they're going. They, they have, you know, they, they maybe like you were saying with your dad, you know, he's exercising, he's, he's healthy, he's vibrant, you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't like a complete course correction, right. but it was like, you know, there's something here to be, to be learned. So you can graduate to an even deeper level of, of who you are and why you're here. Interesting to say that you say that because now I recall, so in 2013, my mom passed away from Alzheimer's and my dad had taken such good care of her for six and a half, seven years and was on a new phase of his journey at this point. That's fascinating, uh, Asia, that you're saying that. You say on your website, it says, everything is medicine. That's so beautiful. And you say, uh, learn with the living world and discover your unique medicine. Talk about that a little bit. What is our, how do we find our unique medicine? Well, I really believe each of us have a gift that we're here to bring this world. I think we come here to this planet as souls to, to learn and to grow, but also I believe we're called here by this earth that we're in a really powerful moment in time of transformation and change on this planet. And it's an intense time. It's, it can be a scary time. I know a lot of people are asking the question, like, you know, what is going to happen? And, you know, everything feels like it's not okay. And, and yet, you know, the, the earth is a much greater sentience than than ours, than our individual knowing. And our our planet's on a journey and we're here to be a part of that journey. And I really believe that we are each called here to bring a gift to this world that is helping that journey, that dream, that wider dream unfold. Yeah. And and you know, just like in in herbalism, you know, every plant has a certain medicine, whether sometimes that medicine is, is medicine that helps us as, as humans. It helps our, our different processes inside of our body. It helps bolster our immune system, et cetera. Sometimes it's not a physical medicine, but every plant has a medicine within a given ecosystem, within a given ecology. And it's the same for humans. We, we each have a gift that we bring to our communities and to the, the wider world. And I think kind of the the glorious invitation of this lifetime is just to go on that journey of, of 
remembering who we are and and what those gifts are. Wow. And the Native Americans and other indigenous people have known this for thousands of years, correct? Yeah. Yeah. This is not new. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely not new wisdom and just the 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 use of this word, you know, medicine in, in the Western context, you know, medicine is really only used in a pharmaceutical sense, but you know, you look at every every other culture in the world, basically, you know, yes. medicine is is a much wider definition. Yeah. Boy, I love that you talked about um, that we are each called. And are you familiar with Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey? I don't know if that, yes. Yeah. And, and, and I think of that. And I just now, I've seen the title for years. I just now am diving into, I'd finished it once and I'm starting again, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, where he talks all about that calling that, and as soon as you call, you'll meet that resistance. Mm. It wasn't coincidence that you talked about that uh, Lyme disease again. And, and that's kind of a resistance that if you will push against, it sounds like, and slay like a dragon, as he puts it, you can move on to your calling, it sounds like, into what you're really being called for you you're nodding your head so i see that you yeah and you know i think the thing about those dragons too is that those dragons are secretly teachers right like it's like they're coming to help us actually those dragons and i and that's something that i say now about my experience with chronic pain and chronic illness is that um you know chronic illness is a teacher and Mm. and you know for me with lyme disease one of the biggest things that came through was i realized when i did what i wanted to do when i wanted to do it I had endless energy, wow. but the moment that I stepped out of that and I started doing things because I thought I should do them, my energy completely tanked and I'd be in bed for days. And it was just such a powerful learning lesson for me. And, and talk about becoming like an energy master, you know, just have to, knowing how to use your own life force energy and actually direct it towards the things that you're being called towards. And I think I thought, you know, I was in the early phase of my business at the time and building a business is hard. And I yes. think I thought, you know, if, if I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, I'm never going to do my books, you know, <laughs> or like, I'm never going to like, you know, do my taxes or write an email. And it actually wasn't true. Like when I did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, all of a sudden there'd be these moments of time where I was like, you know what? I feel like doing my books right now. And I never would have thought that would have been the case, but it was like, yeah, because I gave myself the, the space and the chance for my my energy and my interest to flow where it wanted to flow. It really is like, you know, un, un, unstoppering a, the, the stream of medicine, the stream of, of um, well-being inside of you. And, yes. and sort of following that flow is just so healing unto itself. I mean, everybody has, I think somebody might've tuned out if they thought, oh, well, I'm not an author. So this, they're not talking about me, but again, you, whatever you're calling is correct. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all have this sort of inner directional compass inside of ourselves and, and just asking yourself, like, what a powerful thing it is to ask yourself, like, what do I truly want to do right now? What do I, mm. you know, what, what, what is my heart yearning for? Like what, and to give yourself that it's not selfish. It's actually how you tune into the gifts you're meant to bring to this world. And, and I think, you know, just this, this concept of, of allowing yourself to not only be who you are, but to, to, you know, explore what you want to explore and, um, yeah, step, step into what's calling to you. You know, all, all of those things is what makes it possible for you to, to recognize your gifts. And I, I really believe that when we are in tune with that and in our flow, that things just start to work out. Don't ask me how it works, but it does. You have to trust. Yeah. Things just tend to work out. 
Wow. You, you said step into it. And I think of where I feel the most alive, the most creative and the most enabled. And um, as a nine on the Enneagram, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Mm -hmm, yes. I am. Yeah. As a nine, you know, I'm a people pleaser. I want to see everybody get along and it's very important for me. So I will neglect getting out into nature for the sake of duty, whatever that is. Yeah. Not that I'm a particularly dutiful person, but I use that excuse. Two things that came to mind as you're talking about this. One is fear. What if I succeed? You know, we're all afraid of that secretly. And the other is, well, they won't like it if I do that. They won't like me. They, I, I'll feel guilty. Any number of reasons not to do this. How do you give yourself permission? Well, you live in nature. Is that correct? I mean, you live like in a really beautiful spot. Um, how can we encourage folks to better connect with the earth, maybe if they're in the city or, you know, someplace that doesn't have an easily accessible park. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to remind people of is that like, we literally are nature, right? We're not separate from it. We are nature. And, you know, some of my most powerful early experiences of connecting with the living world was when I was living in New York city <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was watering office plants and, you That's know, right. I, I worked as a dog walker as well, just, you know, trying to make ends meet. And I, and I loved that job, you know, just connecting with the dogs and I, you know, go around from little park to little park with them. And, and there's always, there's always spaces to interact with nature because we it, nature is is everything and is everywhere. It's the spider weaving a web in the corner of your room. It's the it's the dandelion growing up through the crack and the concrete. And I and I really feel that nature is hungry to interact with us. Mm -hmm. And it's you know what the way I've been describing it recently is like when you're in a, a an urban landscape where a lot of the diversity has been diminished the trees around you, the squirrels there, they see you as part of the forest. Wow. Like you are part of the nature and the, the network there. So of course they want to connect with you because connection is how, you know, it, resources are exchanged and how growth happens. And so just to know that there is that hunger on the, the, within the natural world for you, for connecting with you. And, and so you'll be met in that way. Just, you know, if you take one step, it's like the world rushes in to meet you. And, you know, so taking time to even just like sit with a tree that's on, on your street, you know, and look at the tree to, to really take that time to, to witness, you know, mm. I think so often we're, we're really busy in our lives and like you sort of were mentioning, you know, we all have different programs running all the time about what we should be doing. And I think I, I work a lot in particular with empaths and, and highly sensitive people. And, and, you know, this, this population that I, I am a part of, we tend to be like really over attuned to other humans mm. and, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, our ability to attune right to other people's needs and, and yes. desires and wants and feelings. And yet we can also use that same skill to attune to the more than human world. So I find it's, it's actually really incredible and inspiring what people who are empathic can, can pick up on when they give themselves permission to attune in that way. And the reality is that Often when we're over tuning to other humans, it, it feels like a big energy leakage, right? Like it's, yeah. it can sometimes just feel like your essence is flowing out of you. When you are really full of your own essence, that's when you can really be the powerhouse that you're meant to 
be in this world. You know, that's mm, when you, yes. your creative projects come online and you have just the right words to say when that friend does come in for support or, you know, you, you just have the, the energy and the motivation to make the next step in your life happen. And so taking that time, giving yourself permission to take that time to connect with nature in the living world, it, it very literally is refilling your own, your own cup and, and helping you to realize that the, the, your sensitivity, it's actually a gift that was meant to, to help you, um, you know, really, really be the bridge builder that you're here to be. Yeah. Um, but, but that it's, it's meant to fill you up first. And there, there's so much wonder that comes with being a sensitive person because just like you can feel, you really feel for someone if they're going through a hard time. It also means that, you know, when you're out with nature, you lean your heart against a tree, you can really feel that mm. tree. You know, you feel the, the wind move past you and the, the sensation is like vivid, you know, that wow, the vividness wow. of being a sensitive person is, is, is a true gift. And I think it's something that most sensitive people need to hear. Empaths and sensitives, as the word. In fact, you, you said on your website, it says, we're in a turning point in this world and empaths and sensitives are here to help midwife that change. What a beautiful I image that uh, that brings to mind. Midwifing, that means bringing to birth. You're, tell us a little bit more about that thought. You know, I think we've, especially those of us in the Western world who are sensitive, often grew up thinking that our sensitivity was a hindrance, you mm. know, that it was something we had to get over in order to be a part of, of the world, right. To be, to be effective, to be leaders, you know, whatever it is. But I have found that the opposite is true, that actually it's, it's the, the culture that we live in that needs to learn how to be more sensitive. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I really see other empaths and, and sensitives as, you know, here to bring the human consciousness back into the, the space that it's meant to be in, which is the space of alignment with and connection to the more mm -hmm. than human world that mm -hmm. I think humans we have this incredible capacity. And this is, I think, why we were created by the earth. It's why we stick around. It's why I do think the earth is invested in us continuing to be here. Um, I think verdict's out yeah. <laughs> for, for that. But I think I think in an ideal world, the, the earth would really love for us to come back into our, our come back into the fold and our role here because we have this really special ability to tune into the voice of the earth and the more than human world and to actively decide, you know, with our consciousness to co-create with this mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. you know, to, to feed this world through our gratitude, through blessings, through, you know, literal projects of creating more diversity and beauty. We, we have the ability to do that, which is a really special thing. And, you know, this, the, the special aspect of being a self-reflexive species, you know, is yes. we can, we can think about ourselves and our thoughts and use them consciously to create you know, more beauty and diversity here and to further the dream of the earth. And so, you know, I think as sensitives and empaths, we're naturally set up to hear those voices and to respond to them. And so I really believe that we're, we're helping to shift the bedrock of the cultures that we live in across the world and to, to bring them back into alignment with this reality of human beings as a sensitive species. We are a very sensitive species. Yeah, Human beings yeah. as a sensitive species whose, whose senses are attuned to, you know, the, the, the beauty and the sentience and the soul of the living world. We have that 
that capability. I see so many, and I'm, I've been among them, people, humans that are not sensitive because we're not observing or paying attention or paying attention to the wrong things. Um, you talked about the dream of the earth. That's another beautiful phrase and uh, the journey or that the earth is on and furthering that journey, I believe is how you said it. I look into history and I see back in time how, you know, the, there was this evolving, beautiful world and planet and plants come and animals and humans and there's still nature all around. There's no cities. And then we get into cities and, and now we're into, you know, in the Bible, it talks about have dominion over the earth. I've always thought that meant as a noble king who has dominion over his, loves his, his kingdom. But a lot of people read that as dominate in a bad way, you know, for myself, I'm looking at this dream of the earth and saying, so what would that look like in a perfect world? Or what is, what is your vision or your, your picture of a, can you paint us a picture of what a century from now, uh, thousands of years from now, what that would look like. I mean, right now it, it looks bleak. Climate change is a big, hot, hot political topic, all of this, and people are just scared. What would that look like, uh, yeah. Asia? Well, I actually love that you brought up that that quote from the Bible, because I was um, reading recently that there's some people argue that that is actually a mistranslation mm -hmm. and that um, the the better translation of that word might have been responsibility. Wow. I can't um, agree more. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And, and, you know, I think that that's what's being asked of us, you know, to, to come back into our responsibility here on this planet, which really is literally our ability to respond, to be in dialogue, to be mm. in conversation. And, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how things are going to go down, but I, I really believe that we could be in quite a beautiful place a thousand years from now. You know, I lately have been, the past few years have been really fascinated by the Paleolithic and, you know, learning about, it's, it's, a, it's a large stretch of time, the Paleolithic, but, you know, especially the upper Paleolithic, the most, you know, sort of recent Paleolithic age be before the age of agriculture, when, you know, all humans on earth were hunter gatherers and just really fascinated by, um, the complexity of the culture and the complexity of the art and, you know, the, the, the endurance of, of their art and the, the, majesty of their craft and just thinking, wow, it was actually an incredibly rich time to be alive. Wow. They were not lacking. They were not primitive. They, it was um, a really, I think very, from what I can feel into about it and from what I understand from the research, a really potent and fulfilling time. Mm. And, you know, have, having done all this research just because I'm interested in it, I, you know, I've heard several archaeologists say this thing, which is that you know, we were once in the Stone Age and we will be in the Stone Age again. Um, there's no doubt about that. There's no, there's kind of no way around it that, that that's what's going to happen. You know, if humans stick around, we will once again be living in a Stone Age, an age where stones are at the center of the technology and how we survive. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But that could actually be like a, a really beautiful return and oh a really goodness. creative process. And I think where we're at right now, I believe, you know, is is sort of reseeding our own consciousness and psyches and the way that we think about things. Yeah. So that, you know, of course it's important to learn these skills, right? And I live in a community where people are really focused on the skills like basket weaving and hide tanning and, you oh, know, cool. putting up food and all those things. And I think those things are really important. And yet what is actually going to, to help us 
survive and meet the changes ahead are these changes that need to happen in our culture and the way that we think about ourselves and, and the world. And so by doing this work inside your own psyche and consciousness of, you know, doing this inner healing work with yourself of reconnecting to the living world, of starting to see the world around you as alive and and sentient and animated and as full of people Mm-hmm. more than human people that you can have conversations with. You know, I, I really see that as like, as re- reseeding our collective consciousness so that when the time comes that the change is imminent, um, we will have the courage and the strength and the the inner skills, the inner resiliency to meet that time. That's a very hopeful message right there. I think of the alcoholic or the just the person who has hit the bottom of the barrel and there's only one way and that's up, you know, and, and of course our, we were created for more as you were talking about. So it sounds like we might have to hit the bottom of the barrel first before we take that turn up. That's it's up to us, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, everything, you always see the, the macro story and the micro, you know, and we all see that in our own lives, that there were times where things happened where you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get over this. This mm-hmm. is like the worst thing that's ever happened. This is so yeah. hard, so painful. And now what's interesting is you can look back on that time and and have you know a lot of respect and honor for how hard that was, but then also see how much you learned on the other side, how much you grew on the other side. And so mm. thinking about that story within your own life and the way in which you were able to see how, how your spirit actually survived and transformed formed and grew that that same can be true for you know humans for humanity um, as a species on this planet yeah again i take that as a hopeful message right there hey friends brett here to tell you that today's show is made possible by the rocky mountain channel in estes park colorado It's one of our favorite places to get your nature fix, where you can explore the real Rockies. From award-winning documentaries to music in the mountains, to a fun and adventurous podcast hosted by yours truly. This is Adventure with a Conscience. We think you're going to love it. Be sure to check it out and subscribe for free at RockyMountainChannel.com. And now, back to our show. A minute ago, you talked about the original translation of the word dominion. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with Victoria Lures, who wrote Church of the Wild. I don't know if you're familiar with her or not. I've heard of the book, but I haven't read it. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful conversation. And she talked about the original scripture that says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. That word original in the Greek, I believe, was logos. That was actually a word that came about, I'm pretty sure it was by a philosopher who used it. And the original intent Uh, before the Bible was written, and it was originally meant to, um, instead of just to um, indicate a word, it was a conversation. In the beginning was the great conversation. And I love that. I love how you brought that into what we were just talking about as well. There's an ongoing conversation that not just that we're having, not just that we have as human beings, but that the earth is having with us, that the world is having with us. If you're, if you believe in in whatever form of God you believe in, that there is a conversation that God wants to have with you, that your, your higher being wants to have. That gives me a reason to wake up in the morning and and not say, you know, it's all going to pot. (laughs) We have, we have (laughs) a conversation to hold that, uh, this morning when I woke up and realized we had our, our meeting, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a good conversation based on what I had read at your, uh, of your book and your website. May the conversation continue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. That so much. And I, how beautifully that, that dovetails too, with that idea of responsibility being our ability to respond and, yeah. and how very much, as you're saying, it's like these, these wider powers, they want to have a conversation with mm. us. We're, we're, we're welcomed and invited and beloved in that way. Our participation wow. is important. Yes. Yeah. And the ability to respond and to have a conversation is is a good reminder that it's not just a one-way deal uh, to have a con- good conversation. You listen first and then you mm-hmm. respond, right? I know for myself personally, I tend to jump in and think I know where the conversation, whatever that is, is going, where I want to direct it in a, in a, in a direction that I want it to. And I miss so much that I would, if I had just allowed it to, to continue that I wouldn't have seen otherwise or heard otherwise. And that's happening today. Uh, just in reaching out to you, you're you're bringing a perspective. You talked about shamanism. I grew up in a more traditional, fundamental Christian background. That word's a little scary for somebody that has my background. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is that? What is shamanism in a shamanic yeah. journey? Yeah. So you know the the word shaman comes from the Tungustic people of of Siberia, Venki people, and it was a word that was sort of taken by. European anthropologists and applied around the world. (laughs) And so different cultures would have different words for this role, um, or this, you know, this way of thinking and being. And, and so really at its heart, you know, this idea with, with shamanism is just at its most basic, the concept that the world is alive and animated by sentience, um, and that healing comes from interacting with the unseen world. Mm-hmm. And so from this context, you know, a shaman would have been someone who traveled um in in their consciousness, not in their body, but you know, in their in their inner landscape, traveled to communicate um with wow. this more than human world. So that would include, you know, might be the spirits of the trees or, you know, the mushrooms um or the ancestors. And so the idea that there there is healing to be had here on this planet by interacting with the the sentience that that lives here um on on this earth. And so I really see the word shamanism as almost like a dandelion seed that kind of got picked up and like spread around the world. Um, and you know, it's outside of its, its native habitat. And yet I think it has helped some people remember like a very essential truth, you know, that this, this concept that the world is alive and animate and that there's healing to be had from interacting with this unseen spiritual aspect of the world. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I call shamanism the, the bedrock belief system of, of humankind, because that's what, that's basically when anthropologists look at history, um, before the rise of, of what we call now monotheism, they often say that ancient peoples were shamanistic, which basically what that means, what we know of what that means is that it seems as if they were, you know, focused on interacting with the, the spirits of the unseen world here around them. So, you know, the spirits of animals or, or plants or, um, you know, other, other beings that we share the world with. And so I know that, that, that word can sometimes feel a little bigger, scary for people, but that, you know, at its, at its heart, it's really just a way of, of seeing and, and being in the world. And I think that, Honestly, in, in, in my understanding, that way of seeing your being is compatible um, with 
with almost any belief system on, on, on earth, you know, this ability yeah. to just see that this world is, is made of a sentience that is greater, um, mm. than our own. And that, that by interacting with that sentience itself, we can receive healing. Wow. Yeah. That's the, the basic foundation of AA, Bill Wilson's AA, even that, uh, you know, we reach out to the higher power, your sentience. Yes. Um, Melissa and I are, have horses. We're into horses right now. I uh, have been all our lives. And, and also I, I host a couple of different podcasts. One is for the Akil Autism Foundation. So I've been delving into and researching and studying autism. And we just saw the movie Horse Boy with Rowan and Rupert Isaacson. I don't know if you're familiar with, with him and, and his shamanic journey. It was amazing to see, you know, there were some things as they're, they're treating his son, um, Rowan, is that right? The, the son who has autism, who just couldn't even talk. He was uh, in a in a state of uh, always thrashing and stimming and very uncomfortable. When they put him on a horse, he just relaxed and, and melted into the horse. But there was more to the story. And so they took him all the way over to uh, the other side of the world and um, had a shamanic journey with him. And so I recommend that anybody, if you are skeptical, fearful, curious to to go check that out as well because that's what came to mind when you talked about a shamanic journey to me i finally had some point of reference to to look at that and, and see that it's, it's and not scary it's different and it's beautiful and that you could see the love in their eyes as they treated uh rowan and his son it was it was uh amazing to watch the healing journey uh begin with that before you were sick had you had any introduction to shamanism or into um, nature as a healing element? Yeah. You know, when, so before I contracted Lyme disease, when I was dealing with chronic pain and I was in um, college, I was really lucky at the time when I, when I was at Vassar college that we had an amazing uh, professor come and start the Native American Studies program at the school. Mm -hmm. So Professor Molly McGlennon. And I was I was one of the first people to graduate um, through that program. And so I was being exposed to a lot of indigenous thinkers and um, philosophers and writers. And and seeing that my experience of of really you know, um, witnessing the world as, as alive and sentient and animated by spirits that that wasn't, it wasn't crazy. Um, and it wasn't fringe that it actually was a bedrock, very, you know, foundational, uh, belief to, to the indigenous peoples, um, across this continent for sure. And, and across the world. And, and so that was, that was really helpful for me to, to see and understand that. And then, you know, when I, when I was in school, you know, my, my studies were, you know, anthropologically bent. And so I, I learned about shamanism, quote unquote, from a, from an anthropological lens. And, you know, when I graduated, I, I remember it was several years later, I had a dream. I had a series of dreams where I was kind of being shown how to work with my energy. That's sort of the best way I can describe it. Like how to do things like, you know, turn into an animal or, you know, travel around the world or jump on through different timelines, you know, through history. And at the end of these series of dreams, 
um, I was told this is shamanism. We want you to study this. And it felt like my, my higher guides talking to me. And I remember waking up and being like, okay, but like, isn't shamanism like something that comes from a very particular, you know, very particular, has a very particular cultural context. And, you know, it, it means something in the archeological record versus like the contemporary, you know, understanding. And, and so it, it really sort of took me on this journey of like explaining like, okay, well, what does the root of this word mean, you know, and, and why am I being asked to, to study this in particular? And, you know, one translation of, of the word shaman um, in Evenki is one who sees in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really about being, being willing to, to be someone who explores consciousness, I think, you know, your own consciousness, the consciousness of, of yeah. the world. And so I started doing what are called shamanic journeys, but sometimes also just called journey work, which is really just a form of, of focused meditative attention. That's really mm. all that mm-hmm. it is. And, and so you, it's often, you sort of go in with a, with a, a question or specific intent, and then you just sort of see what happens on the inner journey, you know, w- within, within your consciousness. And, you know, to me, it feels like, um, very vivid daydreaming, um, or, or when I'm sitting in meditation and in, instead of sort of trying to empty my mind, when I allow myself to go f- focus in on a visual, that's, it's a very similar feeling to that. And so it's really just a, a way of going inwards to, you know, receive information and insight. Mm-hmm. What well, this is kind of a personal question. What does your personal meditation, do you have a, a form that you use every time or is it different? Maybe you can give us a few tips on, uh, for people who are just beginner meditators, uh, especially from somebody who loves nature and understands how important that is. Yeah. You know, one thing that I love in my meditation practice is I, I normally just set a timer and that can be really helpful, especially when you're like, there's a part of your brain that's like, I don't have time for this. This feels right. stressful. If you just set that timer for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then you know, okay, I don't have to think about it till the, the bell goes off. And then for me, I really like to focus my attention first on my body. So often we're zooming out of our bodies, like coming up and out, like really, you know, feeling dissociated, disconnected. And so to come back to the, to the earth, we do that through our bodies. And Mm. so, you know, I, I like to focus on, you know, what, what is called the, the chakras, but what just feels like centers of, of like energy and experience inside my body. So I often start in the bottom half of my body, like my feet and my knees and my pelvic bowl, and really just try to bring this, this, my awareness to these parts of my body, you know, without judgment, without thought. And when I, when I do have thoughts, you know, I don't chastise myself for it. I'm just like, okay, I thought about that. And now I'm going to come back into just having the the lived experience of what's going on inside my body right now. And, and kind of inviting the sense of expansionness and openness and relaxation. And so I move from my feet all the way up to my head. And then, you know, if, if I have time and the, the bell hasn't gone off yet, you know, by that time I'm normally pretty relaxed. Yeah. So then I just kind of, you know, open my, my, my awareness to whatever's, whatever's coming in, in the present moment. And maybe it's, Mm. you know, some, some insight about something in my life, or maybe it's just a really like yummy feeling inside my body. Sometimes it's not that yummy. Sometimes I'm still feeling antsy or worried about something. And then I just sit with that too. And, you know, it's really a way to retrain our brains to just be with what is, and it's amazing what can, can open up through just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of just Mm. being with what is inside your body. Yeah. Yeah. And and have you, when did you start meditating? Have you meditated all your life? 
<laughs> my dad would love for me to say that I meditated my my whole life because he was <laughs> he was a meditator and he was always trying really? to teach me how to meditate. Yeah. yeah. And I was always like, I don't have time for that, dad. Uh, so I would say that I didn't really start meditating until I was in my twenties. Um, and I, I'm in my, my second half of my thirties now. And, uh, and it, you know, it was, it was sort of hit or miss there for a while. It'd be like, Oh, I meditated this week. I didn't meditate that week. Oh, I think I meditated last month, but you know, when, when, sort of when I, I would say when I got to my, my late twenties, early thirties, I decided, okay, I'm going to make this an everyday practice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make this an everyday practice. And you know, I've, I've recently been tested again because I, uh, I had a baby this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. And, um, all the schedules went out the window, all the routines went out the window. (laughs) And so, you know, now, now it's kind of a thing where, you know, especially because I used to meditate with headphones on and, Mm -hmm. and music, and now I'm, I'm listening out for her, you know, in case she's waking up she's still very young she's seven months and so and so i've i you know i've sort of had to redesign my own practice and and you know she's still in the in the room with me and so i i'll get into you know bed she's in her crib but i'll get into my bed and i'll just you know meditate in the silence laying in bed while i can hear her sleeping and it's like it's it's different but it's it's the same it's the same practice in a certain way you know so it's just it's just finding ways to do it even when life throws you curveballs. Yes. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you're 30. You look like somebody just stepped out of college very young and there, and yet there's these Thank you. <laughs> sage wisdom coming out of you. Do you have, uh, again, I recommend your book mirrors in the earth, but do you have any other books that you would recommend people to read alongside with that, that have really moved you? Yeah. I love the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Just got the um, audiobook of that. Yes. Thumbs oh, up that's that. so <laughs> great. Yes. Just um she, she Robin Wall Kimmerer is an indigenous professor here um on this continent and a botanist. And the book is really about weaving traditional indigenous knowledge systems with science. Um mm. and and the way in which they the sort of the metaphor is that like a sweet grass braid, um, they actually are meant to go together and and support each other and and feed each other. And I just there's so many beautiful stories in that book and and so many opportunities to learn about the the natural world. So that is absolutely one that I would I would recommend to folks who are feeling mm. like a, a lights turned on with yes. this conversation. Yeah, good timing because I we just discovered that uh, I've seen the title for a year or more and we just discovered it in audiobook and it's beautiful. It's, it's one you could fall asleep to at night and, you know, feel like you are being fed both poetically and spiritually. It's beautiful. Uh, I love it. Thank you. Um, so you've got your book. What, what's on the horizon for Asia Solar? What else are you working on? What's coming up? Well, um, having a baby is the, <laughs> is the thing on my docket right it's now. It's a silly question, a I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I writing more um, is is something I'm really passionate. I've always been passionate about writing, and so having my first book come out in the world has just meant a lot. And lately, I've been really diving back into poetry. I, I was, um, always a, a poetry writer mm. um, up until I started my business and, and then, you know, sort of moved more towards short essays and things like that with newsletters and social media posts, but poetry was my first love. And so I've been 
I've gone, been going back to poetry recently and it's, it's a good form, I think, for moms or parents, <laughs> new parents, <laughs> because you only have a certain amount of time to do things in. And so it's been great to just have those moments to reconnect in. And I've been, you know, sort of um, working on writing around the the journey of becoming a parent and yeah. just how profound that is. And, and so, yeah, I'd love to be, I'd love to share some of that at some point with the world and, and, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious with this, this next book, um, there, there are stirrings with this next book that it's, it's going to have to do more with the Paleolithic. And, um, it's something actually I've been, I've been working on, on and off for the past few years, but, and it would, it's still going to need a handful of years to come to fruition, especially with, um, just starting this, this new phase in my life. But, um, I'm excited for where that that project will take me and just the concept in general of connecting to who I call the deep ancestors. So, you know, ancestor work has sort of come back online for a lot of people recently of of wanting to connect to their ancestors. And it's something I've been really passionate about in the past handful of years, you know, going to visit the places my ancestors are from and doing Mm. genealogy research and things like that. And then you know, this concept of the deep ancestors, um, came in for me a few years ago of connecting to those whose names I may not know, but who stretched back into deep time. And that's something that I've been, I've been loving. And I think that the deep ancestors really have a lot to say to us about how to navigate this time of transition that we're in. Wow. I can't wait to read your book, your, the, the new one, uh, the one that you just talked about as well and poetry. Now that you have a child, you're talking about ancestors, you're creating an ancestry <laughs> to come mm-hmm. and uh, can't yeah. wait to, to read the insights that you're given as they come. Asia, you you um, teach courses online, you have your books available. Where can people find you? Sure. So people can find me on my website, uh, which is onewillowapothecaries.com. Um, you can also type in asiasuler.com and that'll take you to the same place. So that's where my courses live and you know where you can find links to the book, but you can really purchase the book anywhere. And also on that website, there's a, a free quiz about learning what your earth healing archetype is. And mm-hmm. it's um, it's connected with a free class too. So if you take it and you're interested, you can access a, a free class about your archetype. And it's really something I designed to help people learn more about what those gifts are they might carry and how they might manifest, how they're meant to be given to the world. So that's a great resource for folks who are interested. And, and I'm also on social media, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram under my name, which is Asia Suler. Okay, wonderful. I have to take that pretest too, just to see. Oh yes, I <laughs> yes. I'd be so curious. I, think I just to see committed what you get. myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And we'll put all the links in the show notes as well, so folks can find it easy. Anything else right. you wanted to share as we wrap up today? No, just to thank you for having me here and and introducing me to your incredible audience. And I can just the energy that you you hold here in this podcast is it's it's so beautiful and inviting. And it's just really been an honor to be here with you and, and the folks that you draw in because I can tell it's a really special group of people. Thank you, Asia. And that's the pot calling the kettle black because you have <laughs> such a kind, gentle stirring uh, sweet spirit about you and and it's been a real privilege having you here with us today and look forward to having you back sometime thank you yes that'd be wonderful thank you you have a great day and blessings to you asia thank you wow what a special conversation with a caring and gentle soul i feel truly blessed by our time spent together today so glad you were here to receive it with me 
I want to encourage you to check out all the wonderful resources at Asia's website at asiasuler.com, Suler, S-U-L-E-R, or onewillowapothecaries.com. Also, go get her Spiritual Nature's meditative book, Mirrors in the Earth, filled with a sense of wonder and her boundless love for nature. You won't be disappointed. If you enjoyed today's show and learned even one thing that could help you on your journey of growth through mindfulness and connection with nature, would you share this podcast with someone else who you think would benefit from it? Also, it would help us immensely if you would take a few moments to rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What a blessing that would be. Thank you. Remember, life is a gift. Nature's a gift. And you are a gift back to the world. See you back here next week. Take care, friends.